Welcome to the IFTA podcast. This is Wieland Alt, President of the International Federation of Technical Analysts. Our goal is to encourage the highest standards of professional ethics and competence among technical analysts worldwide. To learn more about us, visit ifta.org. Welcome to the um, IFTA interview, uh, this time with our uh, uh, previous guest speaker, uh, Jean-Francois Ocher-Jack, uh, uh, speaking about uh, what he presented before, the power of cross-asset confirmation. Please, can you share why this was important for you to present um, uh, at the 2020 conference? Hi, Ron. Well, I'm uh, delighted to, to have this interview today. I was delighted to present at the conference. I hope uh, many of you attended. There were uh, many of uh, great speakers. And uh, yes, my theme at the time was the power of cross-asset uh, confirmation, because I do use a lot of cross-asset confirmations in order to get as much uh, robustness as possible in my, uh, in my uh, forecasting. Why so is that uh, if you look at just one single instrument in isolation, well, you might be right, you might be wrong, but it's a very binary process. And uh, I think that by uh, looking at many uh, assets uh, uh, in coordination and trying to understand how the different trends fit together in some kind of a macro outlook uh, does bring a lot of, uh, um, uh, does bring some kind of a scoring system, which does increase, increase the odds uh, uh, in, in the forecasting methodology. And, and this is quite important, of course, because many professionals uh, in the technical analysis space and in any other uh, uh, analytical discipline can look at one side of the trade or get married up to a particular market. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a great point you make about having a scorecard system, but also one that can uh, self-confirm key signals or maybe show the divergences that might exist. Uh, one additional point, which I, I thought would be great to, to, to share based upon your unique methodology mm -hmm. is, is in your opinion, what gives it an edge? I mean, I know that there's a cycle element to what you do, uh, but in your exactly. opinion, what-, what well, I think that cycle element is very important because it allows us to uh, basically uh, do a forecast timing. So uh, to anticipate uh, when uh, a specific event uh, is likely to happen in the market. So for example, if you're in an uptrend, uh, when do we expect the next uh, intermediate top? Or do, we expect, or, or do we expect the next intermediate top to be a, a very important top? Or uh, if we're in an uptrend and we have been correcting over the last few weeks, uh, when can we expect uh, to have a good buy the dips opportunity to be able to re-enter that trend and, and profit from the next leg up? And uh, our methodology with this uh, uh, timing forecasting uh, uh, element to it uh, is well adapted to do that. And once you have your forecast on various assets, well, then uh, it's important to try to make sense if all these timing points uh, uh, do coordinate uh, in the future. Uh, and, so, and so again, uh, uh, we think our methodology of forecasting is very well adapted uh, for this cross-asset analysis. It would be great to have maybe an educational visual framework if you, if you have one at hand just for the audience yeah, to see. I will go to it. I'm trying to. I'm going to try to keep it quite short, 
And uh, you need to activate my screen share. So it's only going to take you a second. Yep, there we go. And uh, then I could go to my screen. And maybe a bit on the theory. And that's taken from the presentation uh, I actually held at uh, IFTA. I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm going to be quite quick on it. Uh, if someone needs to go deeper into detail uh, on our blog, so you can see here is our website, mjtsa.com. Uh, you have the full presentation that we held at IFTA, uh, which you could uh, go through. And it has a section on education, which is about 20 pages. And so, and so you will be able to get more insight. But basically, our methodology uh, uses three types of instruments. One to uh, monitor the trend. So we use standard deviation envelopes. So envelopes around a mean. Uh, we have a larger envelope, which is the dark yellow envelope for which which we use to identify uh, 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 the longer direction of the trend. And then a shorter term time frame envelope, which is uh, a swing factor in that trend. So when you have the small envelope that comes and hits against the larger one, it does mean that the short term trend has gotten ahead of the longer term one, and that you can expect either uh, uh, some kind of a retracement or a reversal of the trend. And so you, hear, you see here, for example, how uh, our envelopes actually reacted. And this was the S&P 500, a very long-term chart between 2005 and uh, 2010, for example. Then moving quite quickly, the second element of our methodology is price targets. And to uh, be able to calculate them, we use the width of the larger envelope here. And this gives us a measure of amplitude, of historical amplitude and of uh, historical volatility. And it's quite nice to have because it's standardized. We're not looking at the previous move and wanting to do a retracement or a projection on it. It's simply an automated uh, calculation of what was the volatility over, over, the length, uh, of, over, over, over the length of the chart. And we then use it similarly to retracement and, and projections by uh, factoring uh, uh, this volatility measure up by either a corrective factor, which is 0.5 to 0.8 times the volatility, or an impulsive factor, which is 1.3 times to 1.7 times the volatility. And then we would add this result or this product uh, to, uh, to uh, for example, in an uptrend uh, to the lowest point of the chart. So, um, so the first element is to understand where the trend is going. The second element is to understand how much potential we actually have in that trend. And then finally, we go on to uh, the timing element, which is, which is uh, basically based off uh, oscillators. And uh, we use a system of three oscillators, a long-term black oscillator, which is going to be quite slow and go, uh, and go from the overs oversold to the overbought zone. Uh, uh, um, you probably have one or two impact points on a chart. Then you have uh, a medium-term os uh, oscillator, which is the red one, which is twice as short, and which is basically uh, going to help us identify intermediate tops. And then we have a shorter-term uh, oscillator, the blue, which is, which is even more short-term. <clears throat> the idea is that when you're looking at an oversold condition, it does take time to get the confirmation that the trend has actually turned. And by that time, uh, 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 the price may have moved quite a bit, 
which means that you will be in a risk reward situation, which is perhaps a bit uncomfortable. Now, if we use three oscillators and try to find a harmonic low on those three oscillators, <clears throat> you're in a situation where not only do you know you're quite oversold, maybe on the long term and the medium term, but you have an inflection point on the short term on which you could start to react more quickly than if you were relying only on the long-term oscillator. And similarly, if you look at a top, if you have a coordination of three tops, long-term, a medium-term, and a short-term top, which happen at the same time, uh, you have a lot of harmonics that something is happening and that things are ready to turn. But you could also start to react on your short-term exaggeration and on your reversal of trend of our short-term blue oscillator. And then the other element of the methodology is that by using uh, uh, um, three uh, oscillators of different degrees, you could monitor different legs up. So your first leg up is the short-term uh, leg up with the blue oscillator, and it actually is probably going to have a, a top and then some retracement. And then if uh, the medium-term oscillator manages to catch up with it and gain momentum and make it above where the previous blue was, that's a sign of strength in the trend and of a developing uptrend. And then once the black oscillator does come and with its own momentum makes it above the previous red and blue, that confirms your up upside the momentum. And henceforth, uh, that means as long as you have higher tops of an ascending degree, uh, you win an uptrend. And similarly, if you correct down into, into, into a, a low point, and you can't really manage to create that downside momentum to have a lower red bottom here. It means that you are actually resuming the uptrend. And uh, here also, as long as you have bottoms of higher degree, which are ascending, you're in an uptrend. So that allows you to monitor the uptrend as it goes. And then these models are not chosen uh, by, uh, by um, randomly. And uh, there's a timing relationship between the oscillators so that when I see a blue-red sequence, I could project in twice the distance when I expect the next intermediate top to be. And similarly here, when I have this blue-red-black top succession, I could then project when I'm going to, when I'm likely to see uh, the next important top to happen. And that's the forecasting methodology uh, 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 we actually use. Yeah. Just yeah. quickly, Oscillators do seem a bit complicated. Uh, it's not a crystal ball, it's simply a GPS. So we have an uptrend model, which is our ideal uptrend model on our oscillators and an ideal downtrend model. And when we look at our oscillators configuration, we try to match a position of these oscillators to one of these uptrending or downtrending model. And for example, if you reach an intermediate black top here, well, the model will tell you that you should be correcting for a certain period of time, which is X and depends on the frequencies. And then you should be st stabilizing probably for another period of X. And then you could, for example, reaccelerate towards a new high, which will happen in one or two uh, uh, units of time. So when you are an intermediate top, similarly, you would project the next uh, top pretty much in three to four units of time. And that's how we do uh, uh, our projections and can anticipate uh, the timing of, of inflection points in a trend. I know it was a bit long, but uh, that's that's what I could say very quickly about our methodology. 
it's it's great to get a, a good overview and, and a comprehensive one at that. I mean, there are different moving parts. And of course, that's what keeps the system robust. Um, if I can uh, follow up on the, on the next question, of course, uh, having read the latest preview of your monthly report, uh, the lead was was the, the whole bond uh, yield story. Uh, and I'm really kind of keen to dive in in terms of what sure. you are thinking um, on 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 the move? It's been a it's a it's been a in absolute terms it's been a small move, but a lot of people talking about rate of change and whether this might be the canary in the coal mine. So, are, are you concerned by the rise in yields? Well, concern is probably not the not uh, the word. Uh, I think uh, uh, yields will really be of concern when real yields start to move up. At the moment, most of this move is plagued by, uh, by uh, uh, the huge injection of liquidity that we've had, and is mostly uh, translated into higher inflation expectations. But real yields for now have really failed uh, to uh, react. And so, and, so, uh, and so it might come later on in the year or over the next few years, but for now, uh, I, think, I think it's been, it's been mostly uh, uh, driven uh, 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 by uh, liquidity for now. And maybe quickly, I would like to show the long-term chart of, um, sorry about that. Can you see my screen? Or did I make, uh, did I do something wrong here? And not at the moment. Okay, well, let me just fix that. Okay, well, uh, Ron, I'm, I'm afraid I lost you. Oh, here we go. There we go. It happens. And so if we're back, uh, I wanted to show the long-term graph of the US 10-year. And it's certainly oversold. I mean, you can see the move, uh, this is a 10-year a, a, a chart. You can see the move over the last few, uh, a couple of years and our oscillator series on both our medium term, which is a bit more stochastic and on our longer term, which is a bit more uh, momentum, uh, are oversold and, uh, and, uh, and certainly the downside of potential over the next few years is probably, is probably quite low. Yet, if I do uh, use my models to uh, put in a projection, from uh, the down move, which was started in uh, the fourth quarter in 2018, uh, the bottom that we did last year comes a bit early. And so uh, our view is that uh, we've had a very nice rally uh, since, uh, since, um, since uh, August. Uh, that this rally is probably coming towards the end of the first leg up, and that we could see some kind of retracement. I'm not thinking about a full retest because we're very oversold, but some kind of retracement on yields, which could start to materialize probably from mid Q1 and could last uh, two to three months into mid, perhaps late Q2. And then I would expect yields to uh, probably uh, uh, attempt a second leg up. And the big question we'll have at the time is, is if that second leg up will be uh, a liquidity driven leg up again, or if it will uh, mostly uh, uh, be um, influenced by a strong recovery in the economy. And in that case, 
it might be more damaging for equities uh, because it will it will uh, have an influence on real rates real rates sorry and and liquidity is uh, as as many people have been following uh, been a big story since late last year in terms of the massive acceleration not just of central bank liquidity but also of retail institutional speculative liquidity w what's your read on on that trend uh, will it continue to overshoot on the charts or, or is there like well it's a strong it, it, it's a strong trend and uh, i think i think it's um it's probably uh, uh, the, uh the story of don't fight the tape don't fight the te uh, don't fight the uh, uh, the fed and uh, and uh, for now at least this first leg up as we could call it uh, in our view is still on the way and maybe we could have a look at uh, at uh, the All Country World Index, and um, our view on equities is that uh, the period that we saw between 2018 and 2020 uh, was a widening triangle, but we do believe that this widening triangle is finished. Uh, it did see uh, um, 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 an A B C D A E structure. It did see a climax sell-off, which was impressive. And uh, since then has been recuperated very rapidly, uh, made it above uh, uh, the middle of the triangle, even made it up to new highs and is now uh, continuing higher. So I think we're in something quite big here in terms of new secular uptrend. It might be considered nominal and artificial, uh, but it is underway. And, 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 and I think it should, it should continue. Uh, and and uh, from what we could project for now, uh, at least into the beginning of 2022. If we look at, if we, if we do put a model here, we think we have a new uptrend that actually started uh, at, uh, in the month of March with the lows of the markets and probably extends in first instance into the end of the first quarter. Then we do expect uh, some consolidation. And when we do our models, we, if we are in a strong uptrend, we are always too conservative on, 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 on the long-term oscillators because we would expect six months of consolidation here. But what we would likely think could happen is that we do get three months of a, uh, of a market which turns more defensive in a retracement trade, then some stabilization uh, during the summer, and then probably a new acceleration up uh, towards the end of the year. And so, and so yes, this is a, a strong market with a strong trend. Uh, uh, where we might see a bit of retracement, which will be healthy during the second quarter, but uh, we don't believe that this uptrend is finished yet, and that it could continue probably uh, towards uh, towards uh, 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 the end of this year, perhaps early uh, next year in first instance. So strong long-term trend, risk of a short-term pullback, not, not a big uh, cliff drop. And just to add um, uh, the macro overlay point that I picked up again from the same uh, preview report for this month, this idea mm -hmm. of a strong, weak paradox between uh, a potential surprise, pleasant surprise of a bounce back in the economy, potentially being a little bit of a downside pressure point for the market. 
are you seeing that in your charts? How, I how think it work? I think it can happen. Uh, it can happen. It's probably not for this leg up. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, I think we're still in this liquidity rally. It's going to see some uh, retracement, maybe towards the second half of the year. But uh, what I would really need to see for that is that again, I would need to see real rates uh, starting to uh, to uh, move higher. And for now, if you look at the long-term graph of tips, well, the uptrend still seems underway. So I'm looking at the tip iShare uh, tips bond ETF. And if I do put a model on that, well, for now, it still seems to be uptrending towards the end of this year. So, I mean, we might see a bit of that at some point later on in the year, but, uh, but uh, it's not something that I'm seeing as an imminent risk uh, for the time being. Uh, that also leads me to think that the retracement we're going to have in the second quarter of this year uh, might not be that directional, might be more consolidation, might be more rotational. Uh, as said, we believe that interest rates and, and long-term years especially uh, should see uh, some retracement into the spring. And so we're wondering if uh, we're not going to see some kind of a rotation back into, into the growth themes, which uh, have been underperforming uh, cyclicals uh, since early September. And uh, to show that, I wanted to put forward the chart of the NASDAQ. And uh, instead of comparing it to the S&P or to, or, to, or to the Russell, for example, I thought it was interesting to uh, compare it uh, to uh, staples. Because if you do have a strong correction, and uh, you could see it here in uh, 2018, you could see it here in the summer of 2019, you could see it here in 2020, that correction should be strong enough to be able uh, to, uh, to dent uh, the uptrend in uh, the NASDAQ versus the staples ratio. And it doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. According to our models, well, we've had a bit of high level consolidation here uh, uh, as yields have bounced and we are resuming the uptrend at the moment and we might have a bit of a more of a dip short term, but in essence, that trend on this ratio seems to continue uh, into, into the summer. And the machine is telling us that it could continue into August. We don't expect it to be stellar because uh, the trend is still already very well, or very much advanced uh, after 10 years of uptrend and our targets are pretty much reached. But we do think that uh, growth uh, stocks are probably gonna make a comeback and while cyclicals could correct during the second quarter, uh, growth could hold the market. And that reminds me quite a bit of what happened in 2017 following Trump's election and also uh, quite a strong uh, euphoria rally uh, following it and interest rates that actually also moved up quite aggressively uh, and uh, into the first quarter. And then starting mid the first quarter, uh, all that cyclical trade kind of died out. And it took about, well, it took three months uh, uh, a retracement and then another three months of stabilization before it actually started to move up again uh, towards uh, 2018 and then 2019. And I'm wondering if we're not gonna have uh, the same type 
of, of a cyclical retracement, while the market in general pretty much holds up uh, thanks, to, uh, thanks to rotation. And of course, a lot of this can be supported by, by the new presidential uh, outcome of, of Biden and his trillion dollar uh, liquidity kind of um, uh, support in the market. And I'm just thinking, looking across the seas, I noticed on your, on your model radar, emerging market is also outperforming the world. Tell us a little bit about how you see emerging markets and, 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 and what might be driving that in Asia. Well, I think emerging markets is very interesting because it's a great mix at the moment. You have the dollar, which is coming down. Uh, and I'll, I'll quickly show a chart on the dollar just afterwards. Uh, you have the dollar, which is coming down, and you have commodities, which are moving up. And uh, uh, a whole part of the markets index is very linked to these commodities and is, uh, and is helping uh, them outperform at the moment. And... Uh, it will probably continue to do so for another month or so. And then thereafter, China, which has been more on the retracement mode uh, over, uh, over the last few months, and probably accompanied by uh, other uh, uh, Southeast Asia, well, no, uh, uh, East Asia uh, um, uh, countries such as uh, uh, South Korea or Taiwan, will probably relay up and be able to uh, uh, help emerging markets continue to outperform as they are more counter-cyclical in a way, especially Taiwan and China. And so as the market goes into more of a growth theme or retrace a bit into the second quarter, they may be the strong outperformers. And so because of this mix, I think uh, the outperformance of emerging market uh, is going to be quite, uh, quite stable uh, throughout the year. Uh, a few more weeks, maybe month, month or so uh, on the cyclical side, and then with a strong uh, a relay uh, from China and Taiwan. And uh, I just I wanted just to, to show, show the chart uh, of China, of the MSCI China versus the Our Country World Index. And uh, what I thought was interesting here is that, yes, indeed, um, it is counter-cyclical. When markets fall, China basically uh, moves up on a relative basis. And we had a bit of a cyclical correction here in June. Uh, China was also very strong. And here also in October, China was also very strong. But what we could say about this ratio is that basically uh, um, um, the retracements uh, are smaller than the actual impulses. And so I think we're in a circular uptrend here beyond that counter-cyclical element. And from what we could see on our models, uh, there's probably another uh, uh, um, few weeks of retracement, which is possible. It has already started to bounce. It may come back a bit on a relative basis. But then until the fall, and the machine is telling me October here, it seems like China is going to be very strong versus the rest of the world. And we're currently on this ratio at 1.2, which has 100 basis here at the beginning of the chart. And we believe that we could make it up to between 117 and 128. So that's between 15 and 20% outperformance. And China is about 40% of the emerging markets index. And at Taiwan, that's another 15%. So uh, that's going to be a strong influence and a strong a positive factor for emerging markets. And how much of a tailwind can the dollar have? Uh, because I, I know you've you have a, a, 
a view on the dollar, maybe a two-part short-term Well, I mean, the big question and big question I'm hearing in the market is that I'm wondering if this is a big ABC correction on an annual wave basis and that we're ready to find uh, uh, some kind of support here and uh, the dollar could accelerate up on a secular basis. Well, if you look at our envelopes, they have started to turn down and could be uh, eyeing some kind of a rounding top here. And uh, our machine here is seeing a high risk configuration and uh, a high risk configuration is basically, and I have to make it a slightly smaller because it's not perfect in this case, but it means that you've had a kind of a saucer, uh, a saucer correction and then you've accelerated up again. And uh, we didn't necessarily uh, make new highs here. So that, that is a, perhaps a sign of weakness. And then when we look at our, at our shorter term graphs, well, it seems like it's, it's, it's still a developing trend. And I think there's another maybe couple of months and the model is also a bit smaller here. I have about a 10% leeway, uh, which I can apply to, to my models. But I mean, it's also here, I mean, the downtrend doesn't seem quite over. So, I mean, it's well extended. We, we think it's probably have, has another month, month and a half to go. It has done maybe 80% of its move, but it still could continue a bit. And by then it may come and hit against support here and maybe break below support against them in the next month or so. Uh, in Asia, uh, well, uh, the Taiwanese dollar is already, is already well above a resistance versus the dollar, or the dollar is well above, well below support versus the Taiwanese dollar. Uh, the uh, Chinese one is also uh, on the verge of breaking up versus the dollar. So uh, I think we're going to have some kind of a dollar reaction from the end of the first quarter into the second quarter. But I do think that it's probably going to be an intermediate bounce. It might be strong, but it, it, we see it lasting maybe uh, three to four months. And then we probably expect further dollar weakness behind that towards the end of the year. And to kind of ground us in, into the kind of the safe haven trade territory, there's this kind of big, big question now um, on not just one, but, but two, gold and digital gold, Bitcoin. Um, I mean, what can you say about both of these markets, but particularly in terms of what some people are asking about the substitution effect? Does it exist? Um, and what is the potential for either market? Well, basically, you're comparing monetary systems. You have a monetary system which is fiat and which is in a way uh, has uh, uh, is in a uh, self-fulfilling uh, acceleration, which uh, I, I have trouble seeing it stopping before we end up at some point in a crisis. Might be in a few years, but at some point you're going to have the S curve of loss of confidence, which is basically uh, going to uh, going to. Uh, uh, have to end up in some sort of a restructuring of that monetary system. Then you have gold, which is the long-term traditional uh, preserv pre preservation mean of, of, of value, and uh, which I believe at the moment is, is very much uh, reacting to what's happening uh, with interest rates, uh, meaning that uh, if, if interest rates do take a turn uh, 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 to the upside, and if that turn is mostly then pregged by an economic recovery and a rise in real interest rates, uh, you might see an important top uh, on gold. 
but uh, at the moment, as said, I think it's we're mostly in a in in a in a, in a counter trend. That counter trend is almost finished. The move up in interest rates was mostly influenced by inflation expectations, and so uh, uh, I would expect that as nominal rates stop out, uh, probably over the next month or so, gold should make a support bottom and start accelerating higher, uh, probably into the spring. And maybe we could look at the weekly chart here, which in terms show of that. Are you seeing 2000 or even above 2000? Well, I mean, uh, as you see here, there's a bit more leeway for correction over the next month or so. Uh, the target range is somewhere between 1830 and 1700. 1800 has held very, very well uh, recently. I still think it will hold, but we might make it a bit slightly below it. But then we do expect a support point here and a first acceleration up. The machine is telling us April as a possible as as as, as a possible target. Uh, I think we will see new highs by then, and then we might see a bit more of a of of of, of a, new, a, a new period of retracement into into the summer. But eventually, this uptrend is still on the way and probably continues further on into 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 uh into late well from uh, uh late summer into late this year and that probably means further debasement in the dollar but in general if we follow this model up there's still quite a bit of time left uh uptrend uptrending time and so uh, if i calculate my impulsive two targets which we do every once in a while maybe in 10 percent of times we've reached our impulsive targets given given the strong move since 2018 well, at the moment, if I, if I do calculate these, uh, they lead me somewhere between 2,200 and 2,400. So my view is that by April, we should make new highs. And by the end of the year, we should make it up to 2,200, 2,400 on gold. Switching to Bitcoin, uh, it's true that it's an alternative monetary system. Uh, it's true that the loss of confidence in fiat currency is, is, is certainly fueling uh, 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 a very strong uh, 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 a secular argument uh, that that uh, cryptos uh, 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 could take much more of importance uh, uh, as a as a one conservative value, but I think most and for all uh, as a transactional me. I think the most important element uh, uh, on Bitcoin recently was its introduction on the on, on the PayPal uh, platform. And uh, so I mostly see it, uh, and, and so I do believe that it's mostly this argument which is fueling its acceleration is that it is, is gaining traction uh, among, among uh, institutional, well, among commercial players and hence attracting some institutional investors. And uh, for me, it is very much a momentum trade at the moment. And I think liquidity has helped a lot too. And if you want to look at another chart uh, that looks a lot like Bitcoin, is that look at alternative energy at the moment. And it's exactly the same kind of acceleration. And uh, I think that probably has another month or so to go. And uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to make projections with such aggressive uh, 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 beasts uh, uh, as, as alternative energy at the moment or Bitcoin. But uh, that uh, by the end of the quarter, with markets that maybe start to retrace, 
uh, we should probably make a top on them. So I think the retracement we're seeing at the moment over the last few days is probably intermediate, that we will make new highs over the next month or so, probably making it up to 45, maybe 50,000 on Bitcoin. And then during the spring, we might see more of a retracement. And I'm thinking, um, as these are very volatile instruments, maybe something like 40, 50% retracement on Bitcoin. And then if we do have another liquidity break rally towards the second half of the year, there's no reason why Bitcoin cannot accelerate again and make new highs. Because the problems we have uh, at the moment by uh, fueling this endless provision of liquidity to try to get our economy uh, uh, back into shape uh, can only be positive arguments for the asset class. So a, a two-part potential move down up to 50%, but then new record highs for Bitcoin, maybe in the second half due to the crisis hedge or the liquidity play. Well, I think, I think we're going to have a first new high uh, before this move is ended over the next couple of months. And then we're going to have some retracement and then perhaps more strength to the second half of the year. Yes. Great. Thank you so much for the kind of market outlook for 2021, where a lot of people will be looking at the year ahead to kind of bounce back from the roller coaster ride of, of the past year, although it was, I think, mostly profitable from, uh, for, for many. Uh, question non-chart related and more to do with okay. uh, IFTR. So we'll, we'll maybe switch, switch back, back. Uh, to, to conversation mode and uh, mm -hmm. just an open final wrap question on your membership and activity with IFTA, the International Federation of Technologists. So you were, you were a speaker at the 2020 uh, conference, but before that, you've been a, a, a big supporter um, of, of uh, both IFTA and the Swiss Society, where, where we both work together uh, locally. And then the last thing I wanted to say, of course, um, as part of the professional development, uh, you're also a winner of the Bronwood Prize. What can you say about IFTA, SAMT, and the whole professional development of our discipline? Well, I think uh, many technical analysts uh, start with technical analysts because they need it. So they're trading, they're uh, investing, they're wondering where the trends are going. Or, and uh, so a lot, of, uh, early, a lot of technical analysts start by learning by themselves. And uh, the problem with that is that at some point you get too focused on a methodology and there's a lot of, of, of uh, other work which has been done out there over the years, which is very, very useful. And myself, I started in 2003 uh, as an institutional consultant and I only passed my exam in 2012. So I had time to, to, to perfect and work through our own methodology. Uh, and it was uh, very enlightening to me to pass the exams at the time. Uh, discovering a lot of, of, of new angles, which many of them I use uh, today as complements to our own methodology. And uh, uh, one of the things I've developed a lot uh, 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 at our company is the cross-asset aspect. And I think uh, thinking about uh, uh, John Murphy or Martin Pring, they have been huge influences on the way uh, uh, I look at the market. So I think it really broadens your scope and, uh, and, uh, and uh, 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 brings a lot of complementarity uh, uh, to what you could be doing. Okay. So uh, very positive. And then on EFTA itself, I think it's great to communicate and argue with different uh, technical analysis. We all have our angles, we all have our methodologies, and it's great to have argumentations about the market. And I think uh, uh, having argumentations about the market just uh, uh, allows us to uh, basically uh, test-proof our own argumentation 
and to see where are the strong points and where are the weak points, which are basically uh, 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 help us understand where we might be weak in our scenario going forward in the markets and where we need to do more work or try to understand it maybe from another angle. So in terms of certainly strengthening the discipline, but also maybe developing this muscle for scenario planning and probabilities, nothing is set in stone. Uh, one of the unique uh, backstory heritage that you have, John Francois, is, is you, this, this multi-generational uh, 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 focus in markets. Uh, can you share a little bit of, of, of that uh, and, and, and maybe how has that inspired you in the work that you do? Yeah, I don't want to make too much fuss about it, but we all have, uh, it happens that my grandfather was already using technical analysis a lot and my father made his whole career on it. Uh, it's, uh, I think each one of us have, have gone through the whole schooling and the whole self-development process. Uh, my grandfather was, uh, uh, was the head of a small stock broker house in Santa Fe, New Mexico in the US. And uh, to uh, be able to advise his clients, he was using uh, a, a lot of technical analysis when he was one of the early Elliott Wave adopters and uh, did do quite a lot of research on volume and, and, and the relationship of volume and prices. Uh, my father, when he set up his own consultancy uh, in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, in Europe, there was not that much volume data available. So that's why he went into uh, using cycles and oscillators. Uh, to be able, able to complement his analysis of price. And uh, I think my bit of a contribution over the last 15 years is really this cross-asset angle, which I've tried to really uh, strengthen uh, uh, within our methodology. Thank you so much for a, a wonderfully rich and broad uh, uh, discussion. Uh, where can IFTA members uh, go to for, for more information about your work? Well, I try to update my blog as often as I can. And so you could go to our website, which is uh, mjtsa.com. And, uh, and uh, you will see it on one of the charts, uh, uh, or, or you could read it off the charts I've showed on, on this presentation. And I uh, thank you very much all for your attention and for your time. Thank you very much. We look forward to, to meeting again. Yeah, great run. Thank you for listening. To learn more about IFTA and how to become a member of one of our member societies or to find out more about our certification like the Certified Financial Technician CFTE, and the Master of Financial Technical Analysis MFTA, visit ifta.org.